0: Everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading the book, In the Arena, by Isabel Kuhn, with permission of OMF International. And we are on Chapter 8, Part 1, Taught Nerves. The only way to get out of China was to fly the hump over to India. It was then that we discovered that this famous flight went right over our part of Lesulin. Looking down, John even saw the little ferry boat at Place of Action, Into the heat and the refuge crowds of India we came. World War II was still in full operation, October 1944, and there was no passenger ship service to America. With all civilians wishing to go home, we had to be lumped together as refugees and take what transportation the arrest authorities could provide. After some days in Calcutta and about three weeks in Bombay, we were given transportation on a troop ship going to America. Our route and port of arrival was kept secret. Even when we landed, we didn't know know where we were going until hotel placards and street signs gave the clue. So on board we went. John was sent down into the hole with the civilian men and allowed up to see us for only two hours a day. Danny and I found ourselves in the officer's cabin with other women, 11 of us, bunks three tiers high, no portholes for air, and the ship's movie theater just outside our door. They had two sittings of talkies every night, so the jazz music and noise went on until nearly midnight. Shortly after boarding, we mothers were summoned before a ship's officer for a lecture. He had probably been ordered to put fear into us, or he certainly tried his best. He told us that we were allowed on board only out of charity. This was not a passenger ship, and there were no accommodations for babies. There was no baby food on board, so we need not ask for it. There was no deck on the whole ship which was not safe for babies. Some had no railings, and all had big uncovered holes through which a child could easily fall. If your child falls overboard, the ship will not stop to pick it up. I tell you now, so you need not ask. It is up to each mother to watch her own child, he shouted to us. There was no laundry room for us, just the usual wash bowls. We were to eat at the officer's mess, but that compelled two settings, so that each meal must be finished within a half an hour. We must line up ahead of time so as not to lose a minute in getting seated, and so on. When he finished, there was not one of us who would have dared to ask a favor, which was probably his purpose. Danny was about 15 months old, just at the toddling stage, and the trip lasted more than a month. 36 days, I think. Waiting in line for meals three times a day, I had to carry him, heavy as he was. To set an active toddler down meant jerking him back into line all the time just as fatiguing as holding him. He was served a plate of officer's food, big steaks and french fried potatoes, etc. It was inevitable that his tummy would get upset. And more than one night, I sat rocking him, lest his cries keep the others in the cabin awake. In the daytime, he had to be watched every minute, lest he toddle near those holes. To keep him within sight while I washed his diapers was another problem. After two weeks of this, I felt I was going to collapse. I remember standing in line for dinner, feeling my head beginning to swim and faintness coming over me. Again, I cried out in my heart, Lord, what can I do? Just stand till I drop? Now the Lord could have come and touched me as he did in that Chicago restaurant 19 years before. But he did not choose to do it this time. A voice called at my elbow. Well, now look at our poor mother carrying this big heavy boy, me doing nothing. Here, mother, give me this young redhead. Two strong, friendly hands removed Danny from my aching arms. It was a missionary from our cabin. The Lord bless her. I don't know why I didn't think of this before she scolded herself. Mother, from now on, I'm a self-appointed nurse for Danny. Before every meal, I'm going to come and get him, wash him up, and carry him in. And after the meal, I'll carry him out. Do you hear? Did I hear? She was an angel sent from heaven, as far as I was concerned, and she kept her word. To me, this was as much a manifestation of Christ's power as my earlier experiences. She was my door of escape. 1 Corinthians 10.13, Ways Translation God had used a natural means to deliver me. That is all. The 36th day of arrival at last. Our big ship was steaming up the coast of America. We still don't know if it was the Atlantic or the Pacific coast except by guesses. Rumor, rumors that we were soon to land were passed from mouth to mouth, and war changes in the travel habits of America were discussed. "They say you cannot get a taxicab any more," said one. "And none of your friends are allowed to meet the boat," said another. This alarmed me. Our money was limited, and we would need to contact our mission soon after arrival. "What shall we do?" I asked. Miss Alice Wishman of Kashmir was walking with me at the moment. "Oh, the Lord will have something waiting for us," she replied easily. He hasn't brought us all this way to desert us now. And it was so. We were hours and hours getting through immigration and customs, but the Red Cross met us, provided a nurse to take Danny and cared for him, fed him, put him to bed, and watched him. Hot coffee and donuts were served to us, and we landed at ten in the morning, but it was dark before we were ready to proceed on our way. A businessman, a Red Cross helper, drove us in his car from San Pedro to Los Angeles, right to the door of the China Inland Mission there. I have never forgotten it, and those carefree words of Miss Washart were to echo again and again in my heart. Through many a difficult turn in last corners in later years, Oh, God will have something waiting for us. It is scriptural, Psalm 5910. My God with his loving kindness will meet me. And another version translates it, The God whose love meets me on the way. Among our own, the bosom of the mission family is a wonderful place. We immediately wanted to long-distance telephone our daughter, Catherine, that we had arrived. Over the wires, my voice did not sound familiar to her, and it brought the tears. But at least she had the joy of knowing we were on the same continent as she was, and would soon be speeding to her at Philadelphia. We delayed in Los Angeles only long enough to do some shopping. I was still wearing a discarded coat and a beret, and so glad we had arrived in the dark. Just here, I might digress to invite a smile. Miss Wishart met us unexpectedly in church one Sunday after our shopping expedition, and she was about to introduce me to a friend. This is Mrs. Coon, she began, and then noticed my new hat and coat and started to chuckle. Mrs. Coon as she is, not as she was, with laughter, to her friend's complete mystification. On the cross-country train ride, Danny cried every night, keeping everybody in the car awake. Nothing we could do could pacify him. This was one of the most humiliating experiences of my life, and it did not help taunt nerves. Mr. Sutherland had thoughtfully arranged for us to meet Catherine alone in a little room. Our little girl, whom we had last seen at seven and a half years of age, was now 13 and almost at full stature. We had tried to get to her once in those intervening years, but the Japanese had bombed the bridge on our only road, so we had to turn back. But at this reunion, the Lord melted us all together. And there was no feeling of strangeness. Praise his name. The next six months were busy in visiting and deputation work. But for the most part, we stayed with our relatives, the Harrisons, who were generously hospitable as always. Sister Kay's children were no longer small, however, so her home was arranged for adults. It was beautiful with green plants in the and windows and at such a low level that toddlers were tempted to reach out for the pretty trailing branches and pull at them. Danny had to be watched all the time. Everyone was wonderfully kind to me and did their best to help me rest. But at the end of six months, I was as taunt as on arriving. It was disappointing to everyone. How is a person to help such a missionary anyway? When it seems that nobody understands us, we can always turn to the Lord. Lord, I've been home for six months and I feel as ill as when I arrived. I cannot unknot my nerves. If we only had a home of our own, owned it, so that if Danny broke or scratched anything, no one else would suffer. And oh, if I could be alone for a while and sleep the clock around for more than one day, as many days as I needed, what an impossible thing to ask. But quietly and gently, he gave it, all of it. John wanted to take a refresher course in Dallas Theological Seminary. None of us had ever been to Dallas, and if John was to go, we must find a home there. It was wartime when houses of any kind were hard to find. and The seminary had none available. But we now discovered that we had some money. Ten years previously, John's father had died and left him some shares in a certain company. On our previous furlough, the Christian manager of that firm had asked us to leave the shares there for a time longer. The company is not paying dividends now, he said, but I firmly believe it will pay in a few years. Holding your shares and giving me the proxy will just give me a majority vote. I'd like to conduct this business on Christian lines, and I appreciate that majority vote. So if you'll hold your shares as they are, it will do me a favor. We were delighted to do so and almost forgot we possessed any shares. Now when we made inquiry to our astonishment, we learned that their value had tripled. The Christian manager had retired and was now indifferent as to whether we sold the shares or not. If we had sold in 1936, we would have received $2,000. By accommodating him, we now received $6,000. It took our breath away. The Lord pays high interest. Now there was hope of a place of our own in Dallas. We wrote to the seminary for the names and addresses of real estate men and then wrote them our requirements. Number one, it must come within our price range of less than $5,000. We had to reserve something for furniture. Two, we must be able to get possession of the house by July the 28th. Then to the Lord we had request. Number one, since we had no car, can the house be near enough to the seminary so John can walk? Two, that it should be near to a high school so Catherine can walk. Three, it should have two bedrooms, four, and a fenced-in backyard where Danny can be left to play. With the exception of one, all the real estate offices replied that a place of any description without any stipulations was impossible, especially in the low-price bracket. House-building materials had been appropriated for war purposes, and so many newly married couples in the armed forces were looking for cheap homes that any available ones were snapped up before real estate offices had a chance to list them. The one exception wrote it like the others, but added that there might be a house such as we wanted available later on. The owner had not decided whether to sell or not. We wrote back to hold it for us if it was offered for sale. About the time i had reached the extremity of my nerves that it would not relax, about the time of my prayer, another letter came from the real estate office in Dallas. If one of you came immediately, the owner might be persuaded to sell, he wrote. Since we offered cash down, But they could not actually promise he would. John and I went into council. I asked to be the one to go. We knew no one in Dallas and I could go to the YMCA and have my chance to go to bed at seven without anybody thinking I was unsociable. and Without any baby twittering at half past five the next morning announcing that he, bless him, was beginning the new day. I could shop for furniture in the daytime. John was quite happy to stay behind with the children as it would give him another month with relatives and friends in his hometown. Catherine was 13 years old and could take care of Danny. She had prayed for a baby brother, and it was summer vacation. I had written or wired the YMCA for a room sometime before, so off I went on this great adventure, my first trip to Texas. I had a chance to witness to a young girl on the train, and I walked into the YMCA in Dallas, quite confident that the Lord was with me. But it was not to be so easy. The YMC secretary was very courteous, but almost exasperated at my innocence and ignorance. Expect to have a room at the Y with only a week or so advance notice? Why, my dear, she said, we are booked solid for months ahead. I fear I cannot even get you a hotel room. Don't you know what the war has done to America? And as for you getting a house in Dallas, I'm sorry to discourage you, but a place of any kind without stipulations is like asking for the moon. I deal with people all day long, every day in the week, just like yourself. And somebody is waiting to come in now when you go out. I don't know why people cannot be told that there are no vacant houses in Dallas. Well, I will telephone and see if I can get you a room somewhere. I have already phoned nine hotels this morning and not one of them has a corner. But you're planning to stay a while. How long did you say? A month? Well, we'll see. And then she began to phone. Inside, I was praying. The first two or three places were full up then she tried another. Yes, she said into the phone. She intends to say a month. You have a room? Oh, good. She'll be right over. Well, you're fortunate, Mrs. Coon, said the secretary hanging up the telephone. It is a hotel in a rather bad part of town, so I do not call it often. So it's quite a safe place itself, but the neighborhood, well, you won't plan to roam the streets at night, I take it. I assured her I would not, and she gave me the address. It was a cheap hotel, but after Chinese ends, I had learned to appreciate what America might rate third class. I had a corner bedroom with a window on each side, which gave me a cross-draft. It was June, and the days were hot. I shared a bathroom with another person, and there was a good lock on all doors. A bed, bureau, desk, and chair. What else did I need? I knelt down and thanked the Lord. It was about noon, so I got the address of the real estate company and proceeded downstairs. The register clerk was a woman and very pleasant. Oh, your real estate office is just a couple of blocks away, and since we're right downtown, restaurants are plentiful. Woolworths had a good lunch counter, too, and it was only two blocks away. So I started out in Dallas. After a sandwich and coffee at Woolworths, I was ready for real estate. I was perfectly sure God was going to get us that house. But how he was to do it, it would be a thrilling adventure. With this confidence, I made myself known to the real estate people. A sandy-haired, middle-aged salesman was put in charge of me. And we will find out next time what happens if they find a house. I love you. I'm praying for you. Bye-bye for now.